uh, has an MCL slash PCL. I don't know what a PCL is, but uh, it's... That's just an old attendant in there, you know. your one-stop shop for news views and overreactions to all things nfl we've reached week nine the halfway point and aside from the eagles the bengals and cj stroud everyone else seems to be a fraud this is sean i have with me ronan hello how are you doing ronan how's things uh not too bad was back in cavern again to see little rian the nephew he's doing very well very cute a great head of hair on everyone's saying already yeah i don't know the genetics is probably not on the side so he should probably just enjoy it while he can though the father's side is a bit better very good time i think the last photo i got was of him in like a little baby suit so they're enjoying dress up part of uh, having a child already <laughs> oh very cute very cute yeah not, nothing so cute down here quiet enough weekend don't, was... don't tell hetty yeah <laughs> <laughs> very sports heavy I, I watched i went on a hipster soccer vibe on saturday watching the Dortmund gets smashed by Bayern and then watching the Copa Libertadores final, which was as chaotic as you might expect. NFL on Sunday, which was nonstop for a solid 11 hours. One of those sports weekends where sport kind of just takes everything. Uh, I hear Harry Kane pass the Inglorious Bastards rule. Yes, yes. The three. most important part of his hat trick was the fact that he did not expose himself <laughs> as a dirty Englishman. We're missing Connor, but I'm sure he'll be back next week power on regardless because there's a lot to get through we've had an exciting week i said the sunday slate in particular had a, a number of very big games and we're also going to have a look at our mid mid-season review of our pre-season previews to see how we're doing and what changes we might want to make and what that says about the season going forward but we'll start with some news the news so far is, is there's some extensions but mostly injuries and, and nothing else uh, this week so we'll start with the extension so montez sweat who obviously was traded from washington to chicago has signed a new deal four years 94 million good business ronan well look they just traded for him right and i think there was like a story that came out around that time where he was like hmm maybe I won't extend or, you know, I have to think about my options. And then a couple of days later, here's all the money. Basically, it, it's kind of the effect. We know that when guys trade for them, albeit this case, it wasn't like it was like a second round pick. So it wasn't all in type trade. But, you know, you just traded for an elite edge rusher. This is basically the kind of standard contract for edge rushers. It's very similar to what Rashawn Gary was given, as we talked about last week. So I think it's, it's fine business. Like they have all the cap space in the world. And to be honest, like given how bad free agency is, there's not really going to be much else you can do with it until you may or may not extend Justin Fields. And even that's obviously pretty much in the air, considering how high the draft picks are. The Bears, it's, it's such a weird spot for them to be because they're they're in transition and they're obviously still rebuilding with, with obviously two huge draft picks coming next year to, to kind of add to that. And Sweat, not quite sure how he fits into the thing yet, but I guess they're trying to make him a big part of that defensive unit going forward. I, I mean, I don't know. I think with the Bears, it's like you got to wait five years to see how this all pans out because at the moment... They're just not a very good team. In terms of injuries then, we'll start with the serious ones. Season ender for Danny Dimes. Uh, Giants quarterback Daniel Jones is out, which creates a massive quarterback problem for the New York Giants uh, because Tyrod Taylor, the backup, is on IR. Based on their last week, he, that he's going to be out there for, for a minimum of four games. The next option up, Tommy DeVito, does not appear to be a quarterback, uh, or at least certainly that's not what the, the, the Giants coaching team don't seem to have much faith in him as a quarterback. And then there's Matt Barkley uh, on the practice squad. And given the Giants, I mean, their offense has just been an absolute mess even before this happened, but it's gotten even worse since then. It kind of seems to be all Saquon all the time, but he can't carry them all. This is the end of the Giants' uh, hopes for competitiveness, surely. The Giants are out, and I think that does have an effect on kind of the permutations like... 
I certainly wouldn't recommend putting, you know, DeVito out there more often. Like, he was a third string, kind of practice squad kind of guy. Not really your future under almost any possible circumstance. So then you're really going, okay, well, what would be good to kind of develop some of the other guys, some of the younger receivers like Jalen Hyatt. And I think Barkley, he was the backup with Buffalo for a number of years when Dayball was the offensive coordinator. He's always been an okay like fill-in, like kind of very much average, but doesn't like blow you know everything up, doesn't throw a whole bunch of picks. I wouldn't be surprised if Matt Barkley was starting next week. Obviously, at the moment, we have no idea who will be starting next week. Given that their season is over, I think it's really just putting someone there who's not going to embarrass you, who will kind of make the, the news mostly go away and just take this as a lost season. Obviously, Dable got very lucky to some extent last season. They made the playoffs, had a really good season. He can definitely point to all of the injuries that have occurred throughout the entirety of this season to you know a major reason why things have not gone this way. And they start you know thinking about the draft and free agency ahead in terms of what the next step of this team is but obviously the Daniel Dimes thing is more complicated because obviously they gave them all that guaranteed money uh, I think that they're pretty much in for next year if they're talking, thinking just purely financially I don't know what the future is for Daniel Dimes because he hasn't played very well this year he's obviously been very limited throughout most of his year last year was very much an aberration and even then his stats weren't exactly blowing you away he was like a one look quarterback who just happened to be good at running like honestly I have no idea what they're going to do but I think certainly the quarterback question will be opened up wi- wide open by the time we get to the end of this season so probably more interesting in terms of what will happen after December than they are right now it does seem to me that I mean they have to give Denny Dimes another season so they can't really go long term now so I mean I agree with you I, I think something like Barkley might be the option given he is proven to be of NFL caliber where Tommy DeVito just does not seem to be up to scratch uh, whatsoever in other injury news the Giants have also lost offensive lineman uh, Evan Neal as an ankle for two to six weeks uh, other big serious injuries Minnesota have lost running back slash emergency quarterback Cam Akers Achilles injury for the season they also lost uh, their QB Jaron Hall by concussion I think on like the second or third play in his entire NFL career uh, he's week to week and wide receiver KJ Osborne also has concussion and he's week to week. Pittsburgh's linebacker Cole Holcomb is out for the season with a knee injury. Philadelphia tight end Dallas Goddard is on short-term IR at least. So that's four weeks. He has an arm injury. And Cleveland's uh, offensive lineman Jedrick Willis uh, has an MCL slash PCL. I don't know what a PCL is. That's just an old attendance in there. (laughs) Five to eight weeks. So in terms of this, which ones stand out for you, Ronan? You know, the obvious one is the Minnesota situation. Plan was give Jaron Hall an, an, an opportunity to start. And obviously, as he said, he got concussed very early on this. He actually looked okay in the early goings. Speaks to Kevin O'Connell putting together a good offense there. And obviously now, given what just happened, we'll talk about it in a moment, um, in terms of how Minnesota managed to win anyway with Josh Dobbs, who obviously they only traded for last week and who basically didn't know anyone's name. Now that kind of creates a a kind of quarterback controversy, right, for a team that is still very much relevant for the wildcard hunt. So uh, I've seen on Twitter back and forth between different Minnesota fans who think, okay, Dobbs showed that he's got it and he's obviously won a few games already this uh, this year and he's done a decent job for Arizona and Tennessee last year. So just give him the job now after, you know, getting the win and just ride the lightning. Uh, But I'm just like, no, Hall looked good. He's obviously much more familiar with the system. He's obviously more experienced given he's been there for you know, during the preseason and stuff like that. So give him a chance. So it'll be interesting to keep an eye on where that develops going forward. Cam Akers, obviously very unfortunate for him. He got traded by the Rams uh, only a few weeks ago to Minnesota. He'd been getting a little bit more play per week because Alexander Madison has been pretty mediocre. And obviously to get an injury like this will very much hurt him, especially because I believe he's a free agent. So obviously running back market's tough enough without carrying a serious injury like that. And KJ Osborne was basically their 
wide receiver two with Justin Jefferson out and of course because Minnesota are still relevant you'd imagine Justin Jefferson's coming back so pretty soon so it's probably not a huge effect but certainly they are quite thin right now outside of Jordan Addison and Hawkinson as for the other injuries Holcomb contributor starting linebacker for Pittsburgh not obviously the best player on that defense but it was a very serious injury so I think the main uh, news is that he expects to be able to come back next year so that's a big positive for him Dallas Goddard I believe it's a fractured arm so you're talking maybe up to six weeks there Obviously, he's been uh, slowly coming to the game plan more in recent weeks uh, to kind of complement when the run game has been faltering a bit and you can't just throw to AJ Brown every single play. So definitely a loss there and they don't have too much depth at that position. Definitely a loss, but, you know, Philly are such a complete team. You'd imagine they'll, man- they'll, they'll get through uh, without it more often than not. Jedrick Wills, obviously for Cleveland, they, uh, so they are relevant. And obviously, this is a guy who they drafted a few years ago, has been playing at a Pro Bowl, all-pro type level. And it's another hit to that uh, offensive line. So more pressure on Deshaun Watson to step up, which, of course, we don't want to happen. Two lesser injuries, just as the flag as well. The Indianapolis Colts wide receiver Josh Downs has a knee injury. He's expected to miss time. How much time might be indicated by the fact that Indianapolis are hosting some free agent wide receivers at the moment, including Sammy Watkins, which if Sammy Watkins is the best available, the Colts are in a bit of trouble there. The other one, Bengals wide receiver Jamar Chase has a day-to-day with a back injury. Some concern, the pain, which would be quite bad, might have to be managed for the rest of the season. Anyone who watched Sunday Night Football will know exactly what play this happened on, where he landed awkwardly on his back. Not only because of how awkward the, the landing looked, but also because uh, Chris Collinsworth wouldn't shut up about it for the next 20 minutes because he's had a similar back injury and he said it's going to hurt like hell. With Chase... He's such a big part of that offense, and his, his obviously his speed and dynamism and mobility are a big part of that. So I guess the bigger concern is how much pain he's going to be in going down the season and how much the Bengals can accommodate that. Because they've just gotten back from the, the Joe Burrow injury. They seem to be finally over the worst of that uh, and looking back at their best. And now their star wide receiver looks like he might have pain injuries for the rest of the season. I think that's one of those ones that just, like, it's, we don't really know what it's going to be like until we see over the you know, the remainder of the season, how it figures out. But it sounds like one of those things, which is day-to-day, that usually indicates that they expect him to play, but maybe his snaps will be managed. Uh, he'll have to be brought in and out of the game. He might be used in certain like, key circumstances. And obviously, once you get into the business end of the season, and of course, they're in a pretty tough race. Every team in the AFC North is currently in the playoff position. And obviously, the Baltimore Ravens are playing at an extremely high level. Obviously, you want Jamar Chase in there. He's always open, as he said himself. Uh, obviously, the one benefit is that they still have T. Higgins, who's a very good wide receiver in his own rights. And they have Tyler Boyd, who's very good. And I think they have enough depth to kind of get by. But it's just really just that they want to unleash Jamar Chase fully. Uh, Josh Downs, just to say, like he's been a really impressive rookie for the Colts. He's kind of become the 1A, 1A, maybe 1B to Michael Pittman there in Indianapolis. So it'll be interesting to see that if they bring other guys in who might step up. But uh, definitely a step back for an offense, which probably doesn't have the depth to really be affording to lose guys like explosive guys like Josh Downs probably see a lot more Pittman and probably a lot more running but the Colts are kind of vaguely relevant so it's not as important as the chase injury obviously yeah but the, the Colts I mean injuries have been decimating their chances it seems and that's that's another uh, big miss um, so that's that's the news for this week we're going to move on and look at the games from last week <laughs> First up, Ronan wanted to talk about the Vikings, but I demanded we talk about the most important story of this week, the coming out party for CJ Stroud. I think when this guy is winning Super Bowls, as it looks like he has a good chance of doing it, we all look back at as this game is the kind of the breakout game, the game when everyone realized just how good CJ Stroud was. 480 yards, five touchdowns, and I mean, the, the biggest thing was the game-winning drive right at the very death, uh, trying to tank Dell to, to win a game. A game where they didn't have a kicker, and they had to use a running back as, as a kicker, where they had to constantly go, 
on two-point conversions on, on touchdowns where they didn't really have a run game. Stroud just stepped up and crushed all rookie records, absolutely eviscerated the Tampa Bay defense. I think it was something like 28 plays or something of over 20 yards in total. Three receivers ended up with more than 100 yards, Dell, Brown, and Schultz. The, the clutch touchdown drive is a big one. The defense went missing as well. They gave up 37 points. Uh, the Texans win this one 39 37. On the Tampa Bay side, Baker Mayfield looked good. Certainly looks like... It's interesting, I think, when Baker gets up, when he feels like there's a there's a shootout or he's up for a fight, he gets into a, a good place uh, and just starts to get in the zone. 269 yards and two touchdowns. White was solid on the ground, 119 yards uh, and a touchdown. But man, that defense completely collapsed in the second half. One of those epic red zone games, Ronan, that, that will live long in the memory. Oh, for sure. And look, look, Stroud has had a really good start to his career. Like, there's no doubt about that. And he's kind of had a quiet October. Like, he was kind of having some lesser games against the, the other members of the NFC side. I thought maybe he had, like, a, an issue with the NFC side or something, which is weird because it's, it's an awful division that should go away. But, you know, he had really good games against the Colts earlier in the year, against the Steelers and the Jaguars. But this was, like, major level, even well above that. This was, like, truly okay, this guy is making all the Panthers fans cry and this man is making the Texans fans feel excited about football for the first time in like half a decade, basically. And I think it's not just that obviously the the numbers are gaudy, but as you say, the way that he got there. Like, it wasn't even that this was a perfect game. Like, the first quarter of this game, it seemed like the Tampa Bay defense, which isn't a bad defense, um, was doing an okay job at kind of keeping him, like, quiet. But once he got that big uh, breakout touchdown to Noah Browning, who was a 75-yarder, just the fireworks just started coming again and again and again. As you said, like, he, I don't know if he adjusted or just realized that the, you know, the middle or the back end of this defense was vulnerable, and he just picked on those defensive backs relentlessly, and it was just ridiculous it just seemed to be explosive play after explosive play making well good use of Dalton Schultz the tight end who went for 130 yards on 10 catches and then you see the explosive we know Noah Brown he's a veteran he's quite explosive but Tank Dell's also very explosive and even Nico Collins pitched in with a touchdown as well he's been a guy who's made a lot of production for them and I think like as you said the final drive is just kind of where you yeah, like you know you have so little time to turn this game around. And this is the thing, like, even the games that they've lost, it's not tended to have been Stroud's fault. It's just been he scored the, the field goal or the touchdown, whatever's required for him, and then the other team responds, basically. But in this case, it was really the opposite because, you know, you have to remember the Bucks scored with only, like, 46 sef- seconds left on the clock. So you're talking, like, a... You know, it's not quite Patrick Mahomes' ridiculous level, but this is just below that. So you have 46, sef- 46 seconds and you have to score a touchdown because they were down by four points. And he just... It was just incredibly calm. Like he saw they're just leaving the, the middle of the field wide open and he had a couple of, of timeouts and he just took these like uh, 15 to 20 yard chunks again and again and again. And then when the, the timeouts were being used, that's when he started going to the sideline. And then the final uh, touch to the sideline that set up the touchdown, just a perfect ball, just literally on a rope. And that's the guy, like I think like the big thing coming out of college is that this guy is accurate, but uh, but there were people were worried about like the Ohio State type quarterbacks. They're a bit robotic. They don't read read the field well. This guy gets it. This guy is special. And 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 given like you know the, the amount of talent, obviously lots of young players. So you don't know how good they are necessarily. But it's not a hugely talented team. The offensive line is okay, though it's been injured a lot this year. He like a lot of it's just him. And I think it's kind of weird to see him there because he's obviously not like the new breed of like do it all quarterbacks this is a guy who wants to sit in the pocket and basically tear you apart piece by piece by piece kind of an old school passer he does have a bit of running ability we saw that in college and we've seen a bit of that this year but he wants to pick you apart and in this case he was just able to do it relentlessly and that final drive 40 seconds just 
pitch per- it looked like Tom Brady out there, basically. And I don't think you can give a higher compliment to a young rookie quarterback than you look like fucking Tom Brady. No pressure, basically completely unaffected by the scenario. And he's just been like that all this year. So incredible times for Houston. They're obviously such a young team. Their defense is obviously a bit of a mess here. But the defense is incredibly young. The offense is full of rookies and young players. So, you know, the ceiling for this team already feels like it could be very high. I don't think they're probably going to be in the running for the playoffs this year just because I think the AFC wildcard hunt's going to be a bit of a bloodbath. But anything below that's basically as excited as you could be for this team right now. As for the Bucks, obviously in a very different place in terms of where their franchise is. And it was like a promising game. Unfortunately, Baker was the one in this case who ended up being, you know, getting getting in the wrong situation. You know, he did everything he could. He had four minutes left. He meticulously led, led them down the field. And then he scored a touchdown to Kate Otten. Basically, you know, less than a minute left. You can't really ask for more. And that was doing it in a situation where he had to convert on fourth down. And he once again, he was willing to put his body on the line uh, to get that scramble uh, over the line. And that's the thing, like, Baker's not perfect, right? Like, he's never going to be perfect. I think we kind of know what player he is right now. But he plays really hard. He's willing to, like, put 100% of himself into your team. I think that really helps in the locker room. He's a very good reader of the field, like, half-field reader. If you get him out on play action, if you give him, like, quick reads, he's good at that and he's got good accuracy. He's fine, but he's obviously not someone who's going to dissect like a complex coverage and get you in that way and there's definitely been times this year and to lesser extent this game but still a little bit in this game a bit of double clutching not quite sure and kind of like being a bit slow to get the play out there but I think overall one thing that really helped him in this game was that the run game was actually effective White finally had a, a pretty good game nearly four yards of carry also was a I got some receptions and it wasn't just like hey hook it up to Mike Evans so he was pretty good himself so look I think for the Bucks they're three and five they're still in it because they're in the NFC side it's, it's better than they expected in terms of what they've actually been playing playing but I don't know what's going to mean at the end of the season considering there's such a kind of weird mishmash veteran some young players squad but really it's a defense here that, that disappoints me like obviously that's the baby of their head coach Bowles he's going to be probably going to be pretty pissed off in the film room this year but I think he'll also recognize that he came up against a guy who might as you said come out of coming out moment and yeah considering that Houston did this without even a fucking kicker like Shout out to Ogunwale, who who made the 20-something yard kick to go ahead before uh, Baker replied. Like, that's a pretty ballsy thing to do. And I think that's the thing about this Houston team. They got a, they got a new quarterback, they got a new coach, and they look like they're ready and willing to go. It may not be this year, because just the start of the year was tough and they were learning so much, but come next season, this could be a genuine force in the AFC. It's an exciting time. There's definitely there's an energy around the Texans. And with Stroud in particular, I, I just love how much fun... He really looked like he enjoyed that game. Like at the end when he had the, the winning touchdown, he came, you could, there was a shot of him on the sideline where he throws the, the helmet down and just the joy in his face is just like, he was just a kid in the, playing in the yard. He was right back there having fun. That's what you want. If you have that kind of, if that kind of love for the game and that kind of skill and, you know, the right coaching, the sky is the limit for this kid. And it's going to be very interesting to see uh, where he goes from here. Next up then, Minnesota Vikings at the Atlanta Falcons. 31-28 to the Vikings in another crazy game. Uh, Josh Dobbs, four days into his Minnesota career where he didn't know the playbook, probably didn't know the names of the other players around him, somehow manages to be the hero and get the win. As with Kirk Cousins out, and as we talked about Hall getting a concussion early, and Dobbs having his own early issues, gave away a safety, had a fumble, and just the general madness of being asked to run an NFL offense on four days' notice. Someone managed to score three touchdowns 
uh, including a winning one uh, on the two-minute uh, drill. Just, uh, yeah, just just a mad story. Quite effective on the ground, I, I thought. He he was when he was running. He was he was when he was most dangerous. Otherwise, he was kind of maybe playing it quite safe. Hawkinson and Addison being the, the main targets for Atlanta. Heineke had 288 yards, a touchdown, interception. He was Taylor Heineke. You know, exciting but flawed turnovers and struggles to score. So kind of the same issues uh, uh, as Ritter. But serviceable, Heineke. We know what to expect from Heineke. But, I mean, the real thing is Arthur Smith here. The play calling continues to confound. Not using your star running back on goal line calls. Deciding to go to every other option except your star rookie running back. I mean, just use B. John Robinson more, you fool. It, it cannot be... It cannot be that, like... That's poor people talk, Sean. Poor people. He had 11 touches. 11 touches. Uh, he gave more touches to Tyler Algier than he did to, to Bijan Robinson. It just... It doesn't make sense. I don't know how Arthur Smith expects to hold on to his job if he's not going to use the talent. This is the thing about the Falcons, right? The upper management and the GM and stuff, they got into a lot of hard work to get, you know, uh, Kyle Pitts, to, to get Bijan, to get all these star players, Drake London... And then to have the coach not even use them, it just—it doesn't make any sense. Also, you, there's some concerns about the Falcons' defense. I mean, you have to think about the last three quarterbacks the Falcons' defense have faced were Will Levis, uh, Lewis Hall, and Josh Dobbs. So all either rookie, former backups, or guys who had absolutely no practice, and the defense couldn't stop them. So, yeah, exciting, fun times for, for Dobbs. He, he, he does the business, and it's interesting to see where things are going. With the Falcons, I mean, they're I think they're foreign still, but God, what a mess of a team. I don't know how this team... Yeah, it's this project is over. They need they need to give up on Smith and rebuild, I think, because this is going nowhere. Yeah, I don't think anyone's doing as much to make people hate billionaires as Arthur Smith right now. Like, uh, for reference, his father is uh, the FedEx billionaire. But yeah, it's just perplexing, right? But like, let's get into the fun stuff first. Like, they say into Minnesota. Like, as you say, this is a inexplicable story of how Josh Dobbs obviously traded for last week because they lost Kirk Cousins and they were all wearing their Kirk Cousins uh, t-shirts because he was apparently dead, not just on his couch <laughs> throwing balls to his you know, kid posting on, on TikTok or whatever. Like, it's a really weird situation. Jaron Hall goes in there and it's actually okay. He wasn't you know bad in his very brief cameo. And as I said, that's going to create some interesting discussions, I imagine, there over the next bit about what they're going to do. But obviously, Josh Jobs comes in, and yeah, as he said, he doesn't—he didn't know the names of the players. He, never mind, like the the the, the book, like the call, the plays, and stuff like that. And basically, Kevin O'Connell was talking about how he was tra- like basically translating uh, the play call into like English, effectively, for him on the sideline and, and in the earpiece throughout the game, and to basically operate to any degree as a you know sufficient quarterback to any degree is literally ridiculous basically and like you know stand aside Matt Patricia there's a new spaceman in in town here who who actually understands the game of football and like look it wasn't perfect by any stretch as you say he he got sacked he got sacked for a safety basically on his first play uh he fumbled the ball and of course that fumble could have easily been the turning point in this game but it didn't because hey I'm Arthur Smith and I'm gonna oh what, what should I do well I I know who we need to get involved on the goal line um Yes, uh, John Smith. Yes, yes, that's that's a sweet play to John Smith. Aha, I'm a genius. Uh, he, he was not a genius. Basically, that turns into a field goal. And then Atlanta, who were five points up, end up just being up by one tot- one score. Dobbs just slowly worked his way into this game. Into this game, he, you know, it wasn't pretty all the time. There was a lot of times where he was basically just being required to fuck it and then go for a bit of a scramble. And one of those scrambles turned into an amazing-looking touchdown. To be fair, it was good enough. And even and on that final drive, even within one game. You start seeing him making good throws to 
uh, Hawkinson. He made a really good sideline throw to Addison. And you're like, if that's what he can get after like literally being thrown in the middle of a game, um, you'd imagine next week, you know, and given what he did at Arizona in incredibly challenging circumstances, that this guy is worth it. Uh, as for Atlanta, yeah, like obviously I've referenced already, but like they are just inexplicable. I think Heineke is definitely an improvement over Ritter, just in the sense that he's actually willing uh, to get into the hands of uh, when allowed to of the receivers uh, albeit John Smith ended up being the highest receiver here again for weird reasons but it's never going to be perfect with Heineke but he's a he's a veteran head he's obviously been around for a long time albeit not as a starter for as long and he gets it out there much more often than Radier just seems to be able to read the field basically and get it out to his guys and look there was a very bad interception you're going to get that with Heineke he's not perfect and um, maybe he trusts himself a little bit more you find out with a lot of these kind of older veterans good enough to keep them relevant like they're four and five you know, the Saints maybe are moving a little bit ahead. Maybe they'll find something there, but I wouldn't trust the Saints to go on any kind of run. The, the reality is, is that, like, certainly on the goal line, B. John Robinson, this, this running back that you drafted really high, give him the damn ball, you know, because even if it doesn't work, no one's going to dislike you for giving it to B. John Robinson. But Arthur Smith just seems to be on a, a war path against everyone in the world. Like, I'm the genius. I have the galaxy brain. All you poor people. I mean, idiots. I mean just get out of my way and let me do my thing and the more you tell me to do something the less I'm going to do it how do you like that fantasy people how do you like that uh, press so it just feels like a really weird toxic situation and so I'm not really sure where it's going to go it's going to be wibbly wobbly and they could still win this division because the NFC side's stupid but yeah in terms of the long-term like project this is this, this like you know that this was all coming together coherently in year three for Arthur Smith to then show he's a great coach uh, I ain't seeing it, and I don't really see the path forward for that ever happening, to be perfectly frank. We've talked about this a lot. I mean, this is, it doesn't feel like it should be the third year. This this feels like how a first-year team, the first year under head coach feels like, because they just haven't made any progress, and they seem to be trying to rebuild every year and still coming up with just weirdness. He's just he's just not good enough to be head coach, I think. We have to accept. He, he, he Maybe he is, but he's just such a boneheaded idiot. Like, he just won't get out of his own way, like... He yeah, but that's part, that's part of the, you know, what, being smart enough to be head coach is to know when to get out what, of your What own was way. that thing, like, with successful Roman generals would come through on the parade and they'd have someone whispering in the ears, remember that you're mortal? He just needs someone like that. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, okay, so now away from the games between fun but flawed teams towards three games involving six teams with serious championship aspirations. This was the, the serious part of, of the Sunday slate. We're going to start uh, in the NFC East. With well, maybe not so serious because it is the Dallas Cowboys. The Cowboys coming up short, twenty-three to twenty-eight against the Philadelphia Eagles. Dallas played okay in this game. I thought the, the offense definitely looked better than I thought it would. They certainly seem to be maybe closer to the Eagles than their record suggests. But man, did they really shoot themselves in the foot in this one? They came up short repeatedly. Tight end Shoemaker somehow did not cross the goal line on a fourth down play. I, I had to look at that play multiple times to try and figure out how the hell. That wasn't a touchdown. Like, he's literally standing on the goal line, and he seems to fall diagonally to miss it. And then you have Dak Prescott stepping out of bounds at a two-point play, which would have put them into position where they only needed a field goal at the end. It's just, it was very Cowboys in, in just this re- recent vintage of the Cowboys, the, the recent Dak Prescott Cowboys. If you think about all the playoff defeats that they had, this was the same kind of game where they were looked like they could win the game, but they went. They seemed to go out of their way to screw it up, to allow a banged-up Philly team to hold on. Jalen Hurt plays through the pain. 
the stats look pretty good for him. 243 yards and three touchdowns. They did get lucky with some repeated fumbling plays. Although I think they did look quite good. They had one quarter, the third quarter, that they looked like they were taking charge of the game. But they didn't quite... Uh, do it beyond that. Dak, for his part, had 374 yards and three touchdowns. Lamb had 191 yards and a fumble. So they did do a lot of damage to the Philly defensive backs, but they just... They, they count, they, we're going to have to come up with some sort of verb. They Dallas it up or they Cowboys it up because if Chargers are going to charge, the Cowboys seem like they're going to Cowboy. Like, it is one of those kind of games that's going to sting, right? Because, like, this is a game that obviously, early on, I think Philly had the advantage there. They they were looked like the better team. They were going for it aggressively and forced and short. Obviously, they were making use of the tush-push. No, we're never going to call it the brotherly shove. Just shut up and, and move on. And like, look, it was pretty close back and forth early on in this game. But then Dallas just coming into the second half, they allow two touchdowns. They get into a hole. And then from there, they looked the better team. They looked like they could score. But just every time they got close, they seemed to find a way to screw it up. So it came to be that Philly survived here and obviously they were surviving uh, both in the sense of keeping on to the lead but also in the sense that they were getting more and more hurt like Hurts picked up an injury just before the first half and for a second it looked like oh fuck like their entire season might be in jeopardy uh, now and I don't think anyone wants to see Marcus Mariota starting for this team then in the second half their secondary like kept getting hurt like they kept losing guys and I think most of them came back or rotating back in but you know you could tell that the secondary was not playing well as the secondary is missing a bunch of guys already and basically you saw CD Lamb starting to really take big chunks out of this defensive backfield you saw Jake Ferguson really get make a lot of in the middle of the field even saw contributions from Tolbert and Gallup occasionally and it just felt like Dallas are playing better you know they are behind but it kind of feels like you know if they get ahead they're going to stay ahead and they're going to win this game and you could see Sirianni was I wouldn't say panicking but he was definitely in the kind of like fuck fuck god damn it kind of mood like he was that is very much sweary Philly best but as you say Dallas just every time they, they came up about it just this literally a game of inches like as you said that shoemaker fourth down conversion it was kind of like the, the like the commentary team pointed out it was kind of a it was like a failed pick play like the other tight end should have done a better play on the pick and so the defender had an opportunity to tackle but still shoemaker you just had to just reach a little bit just just a teeny tiny bit and no it didn't like it was called the touchdown on the field it had to be overturned or review and like yeah uh, if you were following the, the, the Premier League, you know, it's full on like VAR, like, you know, get out. Depends what angle you're looking at, maybe. But uh, thankfully, the uh, straight on angle was pretty comprehensive that his knee just touched down before he reached over. So really tough stand. But to be fair to Dallas, they didn't like get sucked up and like start imploding. And they got back on it and then they scored a touchdown on their next drive. And then this time, as you said, Dak turned into a scramble play going out to his right. It looked like for all the world he would be able to reach out and make it but just puts out that right foot just a second too early and then they don't get a two-pointer and that meant as you said in the final drive they had to go for the touchdown and then there was a bit of a mess towards the end of that drive I think he was sacked a couple of times and then the final play kind of close like uh, CD Lamb caught it for about five yards out and then every Philly defender uh, in the world it felt, it felt like the fans were coming on just like mashed him in the face uh, just for the temerity uh, to celebrate it a bit extra definitely it kind of felt a little bit anticlimactic for the, the Cowboys like I think this was like probably one of their best chances to get one over their 
rivals a great chance to get right back into the hunt for this division but now with them at five and three and philly at eight and one it's not insurmountable but even though they have another game later on it does feel like philly are very much in pole position not only for this division but for the number one seed and philly obviously a little bit lucky here as you said i think all three of their fumbles basically uh either fortuitously bounced or, or hurts managed to catch it definitely easily have been uh, turned over in any of those cases but they survive and they move on and that's what good teams do right like they win even when they shouldn't maybe win or they take advantage of what the they take care of their advantages and they maximize them and they don't as you say do a cowboy and somehow even when they're playing well you know manage to do at least one or two dumb things that's the difference between being a super bowl contender and being like uh you know maybe if you're lucky contender and the dallas cowboys have always been it feels like for uh, under this era being that type of team and this kind of game kind of proves it so you know lots of positives to take here certainly wasn't the kind of beat down that makes you put dallas into the the complete fraud territory but there's gonna be a lot of frustration after this and it kind of just exposes those maybe those lack of details those lack of winning as it were that makes a difference against these really good teams yeah i think you nailed it on that this really did come across as like a championship type victory for the eagles where they were in it in it in a battle but they managed to grind it out and they were good enough for long enough that they got enough points in their dominant phases that when they the other team came back, they didn't have enough. It, it really felt, to use a soccer analogy, it kind of felt like watching Ma- uh, Ferguson's Man United in in the, the 90s or whatever. They just, they just did enough to win. That's what championships are made of. And they certainly look, as you say, at 8-1, looking like the, the team to beat in the NFC. And for Dallas, I just don't know if they're good or not. It, it, every week, they seem to change my mind about whether or not this team is good. Speaking of teams who we don't know if they're actually that good or not, the Miami Dolphins uh, lost 14-21 to the Kansas City Chiefs in the Frankfurt game. It looks like a beautiful stadium in Frankfurt, but with four and a half million people on the waiting list for those tickets. I don't think we're going to get to a Germany game in our lifetime from from the sounds of it. So 21-14 here. Decent performance from KC for for the start of it. Then they let uh, Miami come back. They were 21-0 up at halftime. Kind of a defensive-led effort. There was a really fun fumble six where the the KC defender used a lateral uh, one of two in fact I think there was a lateral in the Texans play in Texans game as well which is uh, they just should use laterals more in the NFL I, I definitely think that is a thing yeah, that's the rugby be. world cup is over here it's a free field out there I kind of feel like an- this is analytics should be solving this kind of problem is like when should players be using laterals in the NFL is definitely a thing Ed, that Ed Reed was should be solving smarter than we knew Exactly. So they had Kansas City defense wins the fight to uh, 193 yards and touchdowns. But man, was he throwing short under pressure? Generally, was he sticking to his first read even when it wasn't the best read? Was he constantly under pressure from the KC front seven and especially in the final drive? After they they had a brief moment where it looked like a solid comeback, but very far from this best offense of all time nonsense. Raheem Mostert had 85 yards uh, on the ground. Mahomes 209 two touchdowns fumble effective early it looked like the KC offense was getting was it looked like old the old KC offense early on but then as the game went on it kind of kind of standard issues emerged Kelsey seemed to be using more as a decoy than actually being thrown to Mahomes was being asked to scramble a lot something the Dolphins definitely adjusted on defense and KC didn't readjust on that side of it so I mean a big win for KC both in terms of the AFC seeding implications and just the general you know dick swinging of we are we are the big dogs here and for the Dolphins I mean they come up short yet again against a good team and the questions we have to ask ourselves is is, this team looks really good against bad teams but how good is this team actually because they've lost all three losses are, are to teams with a winning record and all of their wins are against teams with a 
losing record and that is the ultimate like fraud cv that is a viking peak viking cv one might even say played obviously a lot more losing teams and winning teams thankfully this year that will definitely change once they make the playoffs assuming they make the playoffs which i still would imagine they're, they're more likely to do uh, the afc uh, wildcard hunt is uh, heating up or, or even the afc east might heat up if buffalo bills get out of their own way it's an interesting game it's not the game i think people were expecting kind of like a full-on like rams uh, chiefs like shootout like we saw like four or five years ago it was very much more conservative kansas city managed to systematically move the the, the ball down the field on the first drive and they got that uh, touchdown to rashi rice and then they got another touchdown later in the second half after a, a lot of punts were exchanged and they kind of after that point and then they got as you said that really fun fumble touchdown uh where mike edwards laterals it to brian cook and it's like you know maybe we'll have to see nfl players uh, at least in obvious scenarios where this happens kind of doing those kind of rugby tackles where you know or even like the kind of like the cutouts just to kind of get those things but like i want to see more fumble like there are more laterals and stuff like that i think it's a as you say, it's one of those underexplored areas, and in a uh, an NFL that's so innovative, it certainly feels like any advantage should be at least thought about. Then the Chiefs are up twenty-one zero. It wasn't perfect by any stage, but you're kind of going as you said last, like about Philly just there a moment ago. Championship football, right? You don't play perfect, but you get a twenty-one point lead against a, a supposed conference rival, and then you move on. And at the end, that's obviously what happened. But obviously, you saw that the same issues that have benighted this team uh, obviously most uh, worryingly in that Denver uh, game last week just kept emerging as you said Patrick Mahomes just didn't seem to have an open read obviously the the uh, Dolphins made a big thing about trying to shut down Travis Kelsey or, or maybe it's just a lack of, of, of Taylor Swift I don't know uh, could be either <laughs> or but obviously we know that this wide receiver core for the Chiefs isn't really going to beat anyone it's like you know Sky Moore and Rashi Rice and Kadarius Tony. it's a lot of gadget guys and deep guys and there's not just that other option that you can rely on and I, you know to some extent you actually saw a little bit more of Jared McKinnon maybe he'll be brought in a bit more like you saw towards the end of last season but it wasn't great the defense thankfully was able to step up when it mattered obviously they got the big plays in the final drive but just generally throughout Trent McDuffie had a, a very good game obviously the the two safeties combined on that touchdown and they they did a good job but I, I think you know Mike McDaniel he's such a good offensive mind that he did figure something out it wasn't the exciting like get uh, Tyreek Hill involved a bunch or Jalen Waddle involved a bunch it was like get Raheem Mostert involved a bunch and he like ended up with a lot of yards in that second half get Cedric Wilson the touchdown Mike McDaniel is a good coach but yeah like obviously you know because his offense is such a like a whirlwind when it works and obviously some parts of it work so well in some games that you kind of feel like the other parts of the offense because they're so maybe underused don't necessarily are ready to heat up immediately and we know Tua is a guy who's like one of the best when on schedule but obviously we saw in, in his earlier years when he struggled that when off schedule when he's struggling to see the field when he can't just make those quick decisive throws that he's he's got problems basically and he certainly is not somebody who wants to get hit a bunch he did in this game he got this act three times so I think I'm not too worried about either team. I think like the Dolphins, like I think it's two, it's year two of the Mike McDaniel thing. The offense is solid. It could definitely do with like, you know, expanding its reach and just being more diverse when required. The defense, I think, is slowly but surely becoming more of a factor. It wasn't perfect here, but I think, you know, holding the Chiefs, even this version of the Chiefs to like 14 offensive points is a good outing. Yeah, they've got to keep stacking up those wins to get a good seeding. And as for the Chiefs, like, I think they kind of feel like, you know, they're a team that, you know, Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes are such magicians. They always have so much bullshit pulling out of their pockets and, you know, and pigeons and fucking uh, scarves and stuff. But I feel like coming into the bye, it kind of feels like, okay, we've been trying stuff. We've been trying to make things work. It's not quite working. So I think this bye comes at a really good time for them. They get this win in Frankfurt in tough conditions after a tough loss last week. You know, they have a time to kind of get down into the bunker, do their stud, 
work out with these wide receivers, get them up to snuff, really go hard at practice. You know, more often than not, coming out of the bye and coming into the business end of the season, the Chiefs have found that next gear, that next level. And you know, obviously part of that will probably be getting Kelsey more involved, but if all the red aspects can work, I think the run game might be something they could lean on a little bit more, to be honest. Then I'm not really worried that they'll find something and when we get to January football, the Chiefs will be a formidable foe as always. And this will be seen as just another mid-season swoon that they'll have quickly forgotten. Yeah, and obviously the big story coming out of this is that uh, Frankfurt joins Minneapolis and Denver as places Taylor Swift would not be caught dead in. Uh, <laughs> Every time Connor describes Frankfurt, it's like, yeah, please don't go there. Yeah, yeah, it is true. Although I, I, I do think the story actually is apparently that when they're on a, on road games, Taylor can't get access to the players because they're of the private. There's some sort of security thing with the private plane, so. That's why she's not going on road games is because she doesn't get to hang out with Travis. And the only road game she has gone to is New York, where she hung out with all those celebrity friends of hers. So that's a, that's a important, Actually, think, important NFL analysis. I think Connor being uh, in Frankfurt is the reason he's not here. I think I just remembered. <laughs> oh, yeah, he did, he did yeah, go a bit late. But I think, yeah, the Dolphins probably look favorites to win the AFC East because judging by the next team we're going to talk about, the Buffalo Bills, they're not going to put up much of a challenge. So Bills at 18, Bengals 24. Buffalo comes up short yet again. They just make it so difficult for themselves. Joe Burrow for Bengals seems to be back to his his old self. 352 yards, two touchdowns. Another solid game, and he gets the drive the last three and a half minutes. He takes the time off to kill the game after dominating early. Bengals were up 14 at the half. T. Higgins 110 yards. On the Buffalo side, it, it was just it was just all Josh Allen. Like he was really forced to carry the team when just things were not going well in terms of the run game. The defense was just not working. He ended up with 302 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. But things are, are not right. But I, and I think this was a very instructive game in terms of both these teams not just in terms of how well the personnel are doing and obviously Burrow's got that he definitely looks like he's got that Joe Montana thing and he's back to his best and the Bengals seem to have great team spirit and they fight for every ball yada 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 what really interested me in this game was there was the scheme battle in that the Bengals seemed to be able in how they schemed up their plays to say for example be able to exploit the double plays on chase to be able to to work around what the Bills were doing against them whereas the Bills when they were trying to do the opposite they just constantly had to keep changing their game plan because it wasn't working. They started off and it just wasn't going anywhere at all. Then they worked out at the start of the third quarter that the RPO could maybe work for a bit and it did work for a little bit in the middle of the game, but then they readjusted. And they finally, by the end of the game, had figured out how to set it up so Diggs was pulled away from double coverage that the Bengals were willing to guard enough other receivers that Diggs would be free. But it took them 57 minutes of game time to figure that out, by which time the the game was already lost. So, I mean, it's... As much as if the Bills are struggling maybe in terms of injuries or their personnel not performing as well as they should, I'm beginning to wonder if this coaching team is not quite up to sniff, sniff either because the one thing we can say about the Bengals, which is a very strange thing to be saying about Zach Taylor uh, and Lou and Arumo, who are not you know renowned you know as being genius coaches, is that they always seem to give their star quarterback the game plan he needs to succeed. And Burrow wins because it's made easy for him to a certain extent. He just has to do what's expected of him. With Buffalo, it does seem like they just need Josh Allen to just do magic bullshit Josh Allen stuff all the time to win games. And that's just not sustainable as a strategy, certainly if you're going to win in in January or February. That's the thing about the Bengals, right? Like, we've always been a little bit like, "Hmm, Zach Taylor, and like, I think we've come to respect Luan Arumo, but obviously when he was hired, he was a no name. But they're both guys who have always underestimated. But I think on the offense, certainly with Zach Taylor, like he's always, his biggest strength has always been like 
look, I don't need to be Sean McVay, super genius, like, let me, like, tell you exactly how to beat this exact coverage, because he knows he got quite lucky, after a couple of tough years early on, to get Joe Burrow, and he knows this guy gets it. This guy is, as you say, that Joe Montana, Peyton Manning, this guy can just take game plans and make them work. Even the bad plays look good when you got Joe Burrow there, at least when he's fully healthy. And in this play, in this game plan, basically, as he said, Jamar Chase has an injury, so he wasn't able to just like hook it up to Jamar Chase, which has worked a fair amount this year, to be fair, as they've slowly eked away out of their early hole this season. But this same game, suddenly T. Higgins explodes, and of course Tyler Boyd makes another contribution. He's been solid. You even saw like Drew Sample, obviously having a nice, nice little move in his touchdown, uh, but also Irv Smith getting involved. It's just like yeah, they have extra moves they have extra contingencies and obviously that all comes to the fact that they have a quarterback who you know doesn't obviously have the magnificent physical gifts of josh allen but has something better he's got a complete and utter understanding of the game of football the things that you know the truly elite guys the, the greatest of all time those are the, the reason that they were that way because they obviously came from a time of football when you know we didn't expect our quarterbacks to be physical gods as well as being great at football he has that and he's also able to run when he needs to he's certainly no sledge there either though it wasn't needed in this game and so you have something which just has been working and when joe burrow is at his best uh, alongside Patrick Mahomes he is obviously in that top tier of the NFL like guys like Josh Allen and Jalen Hurts are brilliant uh, those other those two guys are at an extra level in my opinion and you know Zach Taylor just knows you know he's got a lot of talent in terms of receiving weapons and um, the offensive line's never going to be good but I suppose Joe Mixon Joe Burrow's got used to it and occasionally if you need to use Joe Mixon more which wasn't the case here they're willing to do that as well but I think Lou Anarumo on the defense is even more the, the kind of chameleon. Um, the biggest thing that everyone points out about them is that his defenses adapt on the fly. They don't just stay static. If you're trying to do something different, he's going to change that uh, as you go along. He's going to adapt and make the defense work here. And like, look, towards the end of this game, you saw Josh Allen uh, slowly do his Josh Allen bullshit. But in the key situations, you know, they get a fumble in the fourth quarter that basically killed uh, the Buffalo's chances mostly. Even despite the late touchdown, it just kind of felt like you know, if the Bengals hadn't been able to run that kind of three-minute drive, I, I still would have felt very unconfident that Buffalo Bills, that Josh Allen would be able to do this all by himself because he's literally having to carry this offense in his back. He's getting no help from the run game. Outside of Stefan Diggs, it's really just Kincaid, who, to be fair, has stepped up um, since the injury to Dawson Knox. But, like, you know, if, you're if your second-best weapon is a tight end... That's just not good enough if you're going to compete at the top of the NFL. And that's what the Buffalo Bills were expected to do. That you know, and, and that sense that the window is closed, it's just hard not feel about it. I uh, feel that it's going that way. And the defense, obviously, look, the injuries have been terrible. And it's obviously going to make them do a major step back. But the, the defense is no longer a factor. And like McDermott, he came in as a vaunted DC. He's obviously taken over the defensive uh, this defense this year again. And look, the early goings were okay. But with these injuries, you know, again and again, it's just it's okay at best and if the defense isn't the factor and there's no one helping Josh Allen it's just Josh Allen doing himself and that's fine I'm sure there's a good chance they'll still make the playoffs but like we saw in the playoffs last year it's not good enough to win it all in this strong an AFC uh, when other quarterbacks like Joe Burrow uh, are, are better than you in the tough situations but are also at the moment have more talent until you know free agency and stuff kicks in so it's not as dispiriting as the loss last year uh, albeit they'll have less excuses about the snow despite the fact they play in Buffalo but it, it does feel equally problematic for this team and Buffalo yeah it just kind of feels they're snaking towards like a wildcard spot but it doesn't really feel like they're doing much more beyond that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the Bills are, are five and four now, and, and I think they're definitely turning into that wildcard team you maybe wouldn't be comfortable seeing your team come up against because you know it's going to be a tough night, but not they're not a championship team. This is not a team that's going to 
win three games in the playoffs, especially if they, if they have to win two of them on the road or three of them on the road. It's definitely the, the, the comparison you made to them being the Philip Rivers era Chargers is it's really starting to ring true. You know, this team, exciting, fun, lots of talent, but man, they're not going to win anything. At least at least one of those Philip Rivers, like maybe like the Buffalo Bills we saw a few years ago was like the LT era Chargers, but now they're going into like the later Philip Rivers years and it's like, oh. Look, fair play to Philip Rivers. He's a tough guy, but there's only so much a quarterback can do, and that's really been tested. In, in, and I think, like, but look, Allen's really good, and he has certain gifts that are such a huge asset to this team. But I don't think he like he's still not at like that level of quarterbacking where he's seeing the field and reading the field and, and kind of understands football at the level of a Joe Burrow or even a Patrick Mahomes uh, or obviously the Tom Brady's in the past as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and just a final note to big up the Cincy defense. I have a, such a small, I have such a, 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 a place in my heart, a, a niche in my heart for this Bengals secondary. They, they, they're really fun to, to watch play. Cam Taylor-Britt, another great game. And it's really great to see Chigozi Awuzie back uh, at his best. He's starting to turn into one of those cornerbacks that quarterbacks don't throw to. Not necessarily because he's locked down, say, the way a, 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 a Darnell Rebus was, but more that he's he takes routes away, which is very interesting. He, he stops... Just by the way he positions himself, he stops his receiver from running in certain directions, which takes them away as an option sometimes. It's very sophisticated stuff that they're... It's understated, I think, how much this defense contributes to the Bengals being good. That gives them the platform they need for Burrow. It's about the space he doesn't cover, you know? It is about the space and he doesn't like, cover. You know, like, obviously, we'll get into this when they start playing each other. They have a game uh, later this like, in a couple of weeks. But, you know, this Ravens team and this Cincy oh, team, yeah. two really good defenses, two really good quarterbacks like I think since the offense is probably a bit better than Ravens but some really exciting things could be happening at the top of the uh, AFC North uh, in the rest of the season yeah yeah worth noting every single team in the AFC North is at least two games over 500 which is yeah, but it's like two of these teams aren't quite like the others I don't know like, <laughs> maybe that's why one of those teams might have slipped just about slipped into the dump off uh, yeah speaking of AFC North all games are important but some games are slightly less important except to the fan bases involved and we put those in the dump off uh, so that Ronan can give them their moment of the sun uh, I wouldn't say it's sun maybe like a dim light at the top of the well first up Tennessee at Pittsburgh we, we're considering dogma this game but I don't know Pittsburgh games they, they all kind of go the same they, they do the defensive bullshit and sometimes they win and sometimes they lose depending on the quality of the opponent solid win for Pittsburgh gets them into the playoff spot Pickett Okay, uh, I wouldn't say I'm amazed by, by Kenny Pickett in this game, but he gets the touchdown late, so he does the clutch things. They even have a bit of a run game here. Warren, all-purpose, was over 100 yards. He had a decent game in the ground as well. Harris getting a little bit better run, 76 yards in the touchdown here. And that's helping, I think. It's just balancing out the O. And so, despite the fact that uh, they weren't great, there was still a bit of fair bit of inaccuracy from Pickett, and his relationship with Pickett seems to have fallen off a cliff for some reason. I don't know, Deontay Johnson just ruined it. And there was a you know a failed touchdown by Pickens which is really unacceptable it was fine which is all they can really ask for to be honest as for Tennessee look a much tougher test against uh, Pittsburgh than, than last week for uh, Levis 264 yards in the interception not a great situation obviously that interception on the final drive as well for their hopes but I think you still saw that arm talent you still saw that upside that 
I don't know why you would go away from him basically the rest of the season. Like Tannehill can go to Tannehill, to be perfectly frank, and just give this guy a chance. Because I think against Pittsburgh defense, okay, doesn't work out perfectly. You only get 16 points. But against the lesser lights, and they have a bunch of games against poor teams, including within their division, you could see some real fire uh, come off. And I think, you know, their game against Houston, maybe that might turn into a barn burner. And that all came despite, like, a pretty good showing came despite he had wide receiver injuries and uh, Pittsburgh were taking away DeAndre Hopkins, so... I'm in. I'm still. I'm still in. I'm not. I'm not willing to get out just based on this. Next up, Chicago, New Orleans, 17 to 24. The Saints were solid, which is basically the most you could hope for from this team. Carr moved the ball well enough. 211 yards, two touchdown. They got Taysom Pill involved in all the bullshit. He had a passing touchdown and a catching touchdown. He had 52 yards rushing, and it's kind of supplementing the offense, right? It's not. You can't just make your offense Taysom Hill. Just like you can't make your offense Rashid Shaheed, but just mix in a bit of that. And as long as Carr is playing at a average level fairly capable of doing of all those things just add the extra spice for you on top and that's even a game where uh, Chicago managed to mostly take away Alvin Kamara the real star here was probably on the defense Debo he snagged three touchdowns against Beijing and uh, that kind of basically kept Chicago at bay when they were trying to come back uh, in this game most of those turnovers are happening in the second half Bajan's like look this may be his final game or up an ultimate game two touchdowns three interceptions he also had a fumble Obviously, all those turnovers are, are the worst thing that can happen to a quarterback, and they obviously were hugely costly and would probably mean he'll be benched very quickly. But you still saw enough from him that he has a probably a future as a backup in this league, uh, which, you know, given that he was a, a late round rookie, he'd probably take it. It's pretty well paid as well. So, next up, Washington and New England 2017. Uh, Washington win a battle of the flawed effectively. Back Jones, his, pig, his uh, pass, which was fine. Uh, some people were saying he was a terrible pass. It was fine. It just he was passing the Juju Smith shoot, so that's probably the, the bigger problem. It was tipped. It went for a pick, and that ended this contest. The offense was pretty mundane. Obviously, against the Washington defense, now missing its two best uh, pass rushers. Uh, there was a bit of Stevenson action, thankfully, on 29th in touchdown for him. But outside that, still the same old, same old, like, boringness. Like, outside Demario Douglas and uh, Stevenson, there's just so little action so much so little like juice basically as for washington like howell not one of his better games he was a you know, little bit up and down in this game but he got 325 and touchdowns so the overall numbers looked fine and they were down by seven points fairly late into this game and he obviously was clutch when it mattered and obviously they're now talking about him as a franchise quarterback they want to build around him i'm not 100% in on that, but I'm, you know, enough in that I don't consider it to be a bad decision. That was all happening inside the sacks were coming back, three sacks here. Uh, he was hit six times in total. So unlike last week, it wasn't just that he was kept clean, he, he managed to be okay regardless. So Washington, they get a win, keeps them vaguely relevant, but neither of these teams feel like a, a real factor in 2023. Indianapolis to Carolina, 27 to 13, two Kenny Moore pick sixes. Uh, both of them not great to be honest for for young basically are the difference here they beat their former head coach uh, frank reich who's just looking quite sad these days but his soul is slowly leaving him but it was a very middling game look young you still see the flashes you kind of see the reason he was picked number one overall but given that stroud is doing what he's doing it's going to hurt a little bit hurt harder obviously those three interceptions were key in this game but you saw you see the the, the good throws the anticipation when it schemed up well for him he looks like a good tidy player but right now it's just not been done often enough he's getting sacked in this game a fair amount and i think indianapolis chose to take away adam thielen and there's just a paucity of any other options really out there for him Minshew, one of his less good games 127 yards and two touchdowns pretty middling the run game didn't do much so this was mostly about them scoring just enough to take advantage of the fact that they had a 14 point 
head start effectively. Um, they'll need more if they want to actually stay relevant, but I don't think they're going to be. And then we get into the blowout season, starting off with probably the biggest surprise blowout, 3-37, Baltimore blast past another NFC contender after doing this to the Detroit Lions a couple of weeks ago and then having you know, actually a close enough game with Arizona for whatever reason. They dominated the trenches, like their offense just was able to move the ball at ease and basically they could pass the ball, they could run the ball. It was a really nice uh, set of cameos for the rookie running back Keaton Mitchell. Nine carries for 138 yards and touchdowns, that's like Randy Moss if he's a running back type numbers. So well done there, obviously a lot of credit goes to the offensive line which is playing at a really high level. Basically a sit back and relax day for Lamar uh, while the defense absolutely dominates again. Uh, Geno Smith had two turnovers, he was sacked four times, he was pressured on 50% of his dropbacks. And the Baltimore defense is turning into a major factor under Mike McDonald. They are getting genuinely scary. But of course, we're going to see them with even tougher tests uh, down the stretch. And the run game held to less than two yards of carry. So you can't even just rely on the run against this defense. So Mike McDonald, he might be earning himself a head coach gig uh, at the end of the season. Uh, for now, it's a problem for the rest of the uh, NFL. Next up, Chargers at Jets 27-6. Look, the Chargers actually had another easy win. It was a stupid win, but it was a win which they won easily, which I very much imagine they'll take. They kind of, I think you described this, Sean, as a chaos bowl. So the defense was doing a lot of work. They got two fumbles. They got eight sacks. They obviously were dominating poor old uh, Zach Wilson all game. They got a punt, a touchdown return. And, like, the offense didn't do much. They had, like, less than 200 yards total. Uh, Eckler had a couple of touchdowns. Uh, you know, Keenan Allen did a couple of things, including one really nice highlight catch. But the stingy New York Jets defense was not the problem. They did their job. Five sacks, four tackles for a loss, less than 200 yards. But, look, Zach Wilson, one of his, like, Zach Wilson games, just absolutely awful. Under constant pressure, and it showed. And the run game wasn't able to do anything. They gave a bunch of flags. And the Chargers had Charger moments. There was plenty of opportunities there to pick up the ball when the Chargers, like, threw it at a defender or dropped the ball, but couldn't take advantage of them, and the Chargers win the Chaos Bowl. Another blowout, uh, Rams at Green Bay, 3-20. Basically, if you take away Matt Stafford, the Rams are the shell of a team we thought they were going to be coming into the season. Ripping, basically, two turnovers, less than 150 yards. There's no run game there. The defense, we know, is too understaffed to do much. Uh, and so, basically, this was a nice little go-out for Jordan Love, who's uh, 228 yards with a touchdown. No tension, so you could just be safe and before. And here's a little practice for you in a real, real game, quote-unquote. And he was solid, and they even gave some time to Aaron Jones, who had nearly 100 yards of touchdown, though he did fumble the ball as well. So, just a nice, you know, after obviously a big skid for Green Bay, just a nice opportunity to big beat up on a backup quarterback and just have a little scrimmage on the offense and score 20 points. Another blowout, the Giants at Vegas Raiders, 6-30. to uh, The post with Daniels area starts with a bang. As uh, Pierce has injected his energy, he's putting the practice squad guys on the sideline. He's getting Josh Jacobs back in the engine room of this offense. And O'Connell was playing pretty good. Perfectly adequate because he didn't have to do anything because, you know, it's the, the trash man. Uh, DeVito on the other side and he scored a touchdown and he'll always, always be able to say, I scored an NFL touchdown. But Wandale Robinson was literally like, there was no one around him for like 10 yards. And he nearly, I think out of shock, nearly stepped out on the back end of the end zone. You know, he's not good enough. Just no way. Bring in Matt Barkley, bring in anyone, and they'll be better. And Saquon, God, he, he was like, had back issues, I think, early in this game, and I assume just from trying to carry this team. It's just an impossible task right now. Uh, time to shut down the Giants for the year. Vegas, technically alive, but I wouldn't count them to be there when things get really uh, down to business. And finally, 
zero to twenty-seven win uh, for Cleveland. You know the tank commander was in Clayton Tune. Technically, I suppose uh, Kyler Murray is coming back next week, but this felt like, hey, you're not really good Cleveland defense, and you're a rookie. Yeah, you just go out there and just get killed. The defense got three turnovers out of them. They got seven sacks, uh, ten tackles for a loss. Oh my god, I don't know if the tune will change when Murray comes in, but this tune will give you tinnitus. As for Cleveland's offense, similar to some games we just talked about there, Watson, nice tune-up game, gets two touchdowns, found Amari Cooper a few times, and the, you know, the defense was left on clean-up duty alongside the run game. They'll need more day in that wildcard spot, but you know, considering where they were, I'm sure they'll be happy to take it, move forward, and hope that Watson will continue to grow each week. Although we don't want that, let's talk to Sean Watson. And that's the dump-off for week nine. Talk to you next week. Yeah, some some ugly, ugly games there. I, I particularly noted in watching Red Zone, the Rams-Packers, every single time. There was one of those games where they didn't show much of it, but every time they showed it, someone was doing something stupid. But, yeah, uh, where I think like Arizona were so bad because like 50% of their plays went either neutral or negative. So I don't, even, re- <laughs> even, even Red Zone couldn't bring itself to show that level of ineptitude. Okay, so that's that's week nine. We're now going to move on to our slightly less premature congratulations, looking at our preseason picks and how they're faring. So we'll start then with a breakout player. So I'll go through the week one predictions and then we'll, we'll see how we change. So Connor had Justin Ross, uh, Kansas City wide receiver. Currently arrested. <laughs> not, not going so well. You had uh, Buffalo running back James, James Cook, who's gone hey. missing. And I had Philly running back Kenneth Gainwell, who has learned to fly recently. So what have you changed your pick and why? Yeah, I've changed it to probably like a lesser well-known like one at uh, Dallas defensive back Deron Bland. He's having a really good year. I think he's a second-year player. So his uh, advanced analytics are very good. He's making an impact on a really good defense. Obviously, he's maybe been carried a little bit there. So, you know, it's not the biggest pick, but he deserves some respect, I believe. Uh, I'm going to go for Puka Nakua simply mm-hmm. because he's exciting and fun and one of the few rookies that are close to the top of their skill position uh, yardage charts. Connor's gone for David Montgomery. He says injuries hurt, but much better than uh, expected. Moving on to, to best rookie. We all were pretty certain we knew what the answer was at the start of the year, and now we're pretty certain that we know what the right answer is. So week one predictions. Connor had gone for Anthony Richardson, who had not been for injuries, uh, you never know, and had not been for Arthur Smith, you never know for us. We both went for Bijan Robinson. But we both of us shaking our fists, <laughs> Arthur Smith! There, there are definitely parallel universes in which Anthony Richardson and Bijan Robinson are the right pick. But the obvious, I think, best choice for best rookie is CJ Stroud. Yes, and it's indeed. not just recency bias. Like he has played good this year. He only has one interception, playing at a very high level. But obviously, that last week definitely. Uh, anyone who was uh, wavering, that kind of tipped it over the edge. Yeah, I, I did give a little bit of a think of Will Levis when I saw him play on Thursday. I was Such like, oh, he's got something going good. But then I watched CJ Stroud on Sunday. It's like, no way. Next up, MVP. We've all stuck with our picks. So Connor went for Pat Mahomes and he's decided to stick with him. But he just does, does say if it's not, doesn't go to a QB, it's CMC all the way. I've decided to stick with CMC, uh, even though the Niners would probably have to win a lot more games if he's actually going to win it. But he's definitely, I think, he's definitely the best player at the moment in the league. It just happens to be a running back uh, on a team that has slightly fallen off their perch a little bit. And you've gone for running. I kept Patrick Mahomes, but like, this is a, it's kind of in flux right now. Obviously, no one's really having that kind of standout MVP type season yet. But obviously, we know post Thanksgiving, that's where the, the, the awards are really won. But, you know, keep an eye on Lamar Jackson. Keep an eye on Joe Burrow in the NFC. Keep an eye on Jalen Hurts. But, you know, Patrick Mahomes, if he plays up to his level 
And as I say, if they come out of their bye playing Chiefs football, then he's still got a very good chance of getting the MVP. And then the Justin Tucker Memorial Award for Best Special Teamer, not named Justin Tucker. Week one predictions. Connor went for a case on Nixon. Punt returner for uh, Green Bay because he was Snoop's pretend cousin. You went for Tennessee punter Ryan Stonehouse. And I went for Irishman uh, Daniel Whelan uh, from Green Bay. I'm going to stick. I'm going to st- uh, be patriotic and stick with Dan Whelan. But you you and Connor have both picked a new pick. Yeah, we both went for uh, Dust- Dustin Hopkins. Kind of one of these guys who's been around forever, but is having uh, one of those career years. He's hit seven in a row from 50 yard plus. He's also got seven. Uh, from 40 to 50. I think he did miss a, a field goal, not from over 50 last week, but just a very solid season for the guy in Cleveland and you know, give him a little bit of a late career recognition there. Now to the more fun awards, uh, dumpster diving. Uh, we start with the Tom Cable most penalty yards prize. Obviously, the, the big question here is is the, the metric by which you uh, measure it, whether going by number of penalties or number of yards. Uh, luckily, I found a player who can max out in both categories, and myself and Connor have gone to. So Connor went for Eli Apple, Miami uh, DB, who's had a not terrible season by Eli Apple standards. I had gone for an offensive tackle, Trent Brown. We both changed our option based on if anybody watched, especially from the, the opening day against the Lions onwards, uh, will know uh, it's offensive lineman from Kansas City, Joan Taylor, who is top five in both number of penalties and total yards and does not seem to understand or is willfully ignorant of where he's supposed to line up uh, and therefore is getting tons of penalties out of it. Uh, Connor says it's been cleaned up in the last few weeks. I haven't been checking can't vouch for that, but certainly in the early season, he's been the standout penalty guy uh, of, of the first nine weeks. That, and that, you- that's the value of science. You know, the Chiefs <laughs> went out, okay, what confirmation of body do we need to, to stop getting penalties? And they've evolved. That's uh, good coaching. I'm going to stick with Marco Wilson. Uh, I believe right now he's like number seven, but the Cardinals are bad. Oh, so yeah, even though AJ Terrell and Adebo are a bit higher at the moment, uh, I'm going to stick with it for now because I just said so few correct picks. I'm going to like, okay, I'm going to stick with something at least. The Jamarcus Hype Train Crash Award. Yeah, I, I think Connor has kind of won this one one already. Although, I don't know if there was that much hype around Las yeah, Vegas in the first yeah, place. Yeah, 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 I yeah, do but... feel that's kind of cheating a bit. He says, <laughs> Pat, he says the Pats eats are going to flop, and they did. Mm-hmm. I went for the LA Chargers. I'm going to stick by them. They are 4-4, four and four, but man, they look the Chargers they've ever looked. Uh, and you've also switched to Chargers from the Cleveland Browns. Yeah, like I think the, the Chargers are always a good candidate for this. They'd be disappointing now. And I, I think I still have a feeling they might sneak into the playoffs, but that just means it'll be even more embarrassing when they like get blown out or drop a lead or whatever they do. Browns, I don't know, that also felt like a bit, it wasn't a great pick either. And they've been a little bit better than expected. So we'll, we'll switch to the easy pick of the Chargers. But yeah, Connor gets 10 out of 10 for accuracy, but maybe 2 out of 10 for, you know, legitimacy. The spirit, yeah, he, he wins by the letter of the law, but the spirit <laughs> of the law has another matter entirely. Technically correct. The best type of correct. <laughs> Moving then on to the Sanchez was the most embarrassing uh, moment. Connor initially went for a Browns QB controversy where Watson is benched for... In the end, uh, Watson got... A fake concussion benched uh, for PJ Walker. So I'm surprised you didn't stick with that one. Connor has changed instead to the, the 70 burger. The Broncos giving up 70 points. To he just loves Dolphins. clowning on his uh, division rivals, basically. <laughs> he does a bit. So we had initially different picks. You'd gone for the Broncos implosion when they suck again under Peyton. They appear to, they started it sucking, but now they seem to suck slightly less. I went for Robert Kraft, fire six-time Super Bowl champion Bill Belichick midseason. Could still happen, but uh, they gave him a long-term contract, so it's not going to cost a lot of money now. But we've both changed to the Night of the Long Knives, 
Vegas style, the decision to literally three hours after the trade deadline for Vegas to blow everything up for no reason whatsoever. Yeah, I suppose the, the only reason it's not embarrassing is that it was technically the right decision. Well, it was the right decision, like <laughs> so. But like, I suppose just the way that they did it, they made a good decision look bad, which is the ultimate sign of a, a you know, a dumpster fire, a embarrassing franchise. But uh, look, I think you know if you're 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 kind of half correct because like it wasn't uh, Bill Belichick, but like Josh McDaniels is basically the fake. Joe Bill Belichick, so it's kind of like the same. And in dumpster fire of the year, Connor went initially for the LA Rams, but obviously they are, you know, competent. So he's gone for the Raiders. Uh, it's interesting. He went for the Raiders in hype train crash and dumpster fire, but not most embarrassing moment, which is which is uh, an odd one in terms of that. You initially picked the Arizona Cardinals, and now you decided that the dumpster fire is the pat the Pats. I want you to justify. I don't know if the the Pats are bad. I don't know if they can qualify as a dumpster fire. It's not I mean. quite got the dumpster fire yet. You can't see the fire, but you can smell the fire. And you know it's pretty like that. Like this is a lot of old rubbish in the dumpster. <laughs> There's nothing really working. The injuries are piling up, and then the just like the sense that like that Robert Kraft Bill Belichick relationship isn't quite going where they want to be and Bill Belichick does kind of seem like the veteran general who's like not going to leave unless he's absolutely forced to so I think by the end of this year and just with the way the injuries have gone they're going to just play worse and worse it feels like outside of maybe Stevenson being a little better but yeah I just I have a sense that by the end of the season this will be even uglier than it's already been on the field I mean I don't think they're quite dumpster fire level on the field but they are going in that direction especially offensively but i do think we, we need some off-field backroom controversy such as belichick and Kraft having a massive argument to really to really make it a dumpster fire what if he just hires Josh mcdaniels again <laughs> <laughs> or matt patricia yeah. <laughs> change from the cardinals to the new york giants because they have literally the worst offense i've ever seen led by a guy who is not a quarterback and it's certainly now that danny dimes is out uh, for the rest of the season it certainly doesn't look like it's going anywhere better the only thing i'd say for the giants like some of it is exogenous like it's not all internal uh, fire but yeah and but it does feel like the danny dimes decision it felt bad at the time and it isn't feeling any better right now back then to the good stuff prizes arriving so team the wildcard team the team that we're going to think could get spicy uh, come playoff time connor's gone for the atlanta falcons he thinks they'll sneak in i'm sure they will sneak in i just don't know if they're going to be of any interest come the playoffs i initially went with the jets Without Aaron Rodgers uh, uh, and the way the offense is playing, I'm less confident that they're going to take someone out. But I got to stick by them because you have also decided to go for the New York Jets well, as like, your wild. Card. For for me, the wild card is like a, you know, it's a concept, it's an idea, and not, like if the Jets can stay relevant enough that in a few weeks they can get Aaron Rodgers back, and then Aaron Rodgers comes back and they manage to sneak into the playoffs, that is. The wild card. Yeah. Oh yeah, let's let's shake things up. And obviously they go out in the first round because obviously they're still the Jets. But that's the kind of thing like Aaron Rodgers on a bum ankle. Like, do you is he gonna be like superstar Aaron Rodgers or is his ankle going to explode? That's the kind of stuff I want from a, a wild card round. It's a real test for Western medicine, I think, if he comes back in like week twelve. So next one, the biggest positive change since the week one predictions. This is a little convoluted. We made initial predictions in the summer, then we decided on week one which picks we thought were slightly unfair and who we thought would be better, and now we've decided to think about it again about who we still think would be better. Uh, I've gone for the Steelers largely because I initially picked the Steelers to have a losing record, which is just the just a terrible mistake. All Mike Tomlin teams finished nine and eight. So I've decided to stick uh, by them. Connor initially thought the commanders would be better than he thought, but now he's conceded that indeed the, the Rams are much better. And you've gone for the Ravens uh, instead of the Packers. Yeah. And it's not like I was low on the Ravens. I think I had them 
like doing pretty well like 11 wins but like i am genuinely a little bit scared that this team might be the best in the nfl right now now injuries will definitely happen because they're the ravens but right now something might be brewing there that that is pretty special um, it is interesting, though. You did initially pick the Packers to be your biggest positive change, and now you've picked them to be your biggest negative change. Oh, yeah, because they uh, suck. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's, that's, that's definitely a swing I don't think we've ever seen in this category or likely ever see again. Connors changed his AFC East pick. He decided the Dolphins are not going to be bad, but the Bills are going to be bad. I thought the Giants would sneak into the playoffs, so now I've decided they're not. Uh, my initial pick was the Rams, and I was bullied out of believing that they would be a good team. Uh, and now I got to stick by them. But we did uh, learn that they aren't actually a good team, but Matt Stafford is good. Basically. Yes, oh yes. Matt Stafford <laughs> is actually more than a stat a stat patter. He's actually a good quarterback. Uh, AFC champion then. Connor sticks by Kansas City. He thinks they'll get the job done. He thinks Bengals are close second. I had the Bengals. I stick by them. And you've seen the light on the Bengals. Yeah, it's like for me, as I said, I'm really high on Baltimore. I think they are genuinely playing really high level, but Cincinnati are also playing really well. And when it comes down to it, it's like Joe Burrow. Yeah, Joe Burrow. Okay, so I'm willing to give Cincinnati, but I was really much between them and Baltimore for this pick because obviously Kansas City are an obvious pick, but they're playing a little bit lesser and I kind of think they'll figure it out. But both those teams are going to go through the gauntlet in the AFC North and whichever one is atop them will be very, very scary. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good pick. I think it's if the Ravens win that division and get a couple of home playoff games it could be very interesting indeed uh, in terms of nfc championship we've all stuck to our answers and it's three different answers so connor stuck, sticks with the detroit lions who are i think six and two doing quite well you stick with the eagles who are objectively the best team in the nfc and i decided I, i've got to go down with with uh with, with my prediction i got to go down with the ship i'm sticking with the, the san francisco 49ers um, i still think they they they're a good team they are well coached. If they get off this run they're in and get back in their groove, they'll be a tough team in the playoffs. And as we've seen the last few years in the playoffs, they, they can take out better teams if they have to. Like in the NFC, there isn't really much beyond these. Like It's like Dallas, I suppose. And then yeah. the NFC side, Seahawks, Vikings. Yeah, So it's really just, there's these three teams and maybe Dallas. So I think it's a good coverage here. In terms of Super Bowl winner, uh, Connor is going for the hometown Kansas City Chiefs. You go with the Eagles, which I think is a is, is a good call. I think the Eagles do have a chance, but because I've stuck with the 49ers, and I've thought about it, and I'm like, I can't trust the Niners to win a Super Bowl if they can't ever win a game when they fall behind by three points. And having watched the Bengals on Sunday Night Football recently, I'm like, I'm in. This this is a Super Bowl team. I think the Bengals are going to go all the way. You're going down with the ship, but uh, going to take the lifeboat. <laughs> <laughs> the Joe Burrow-shaped lifeboat or the Super Bowl, exactly. So yeah, I think I've done quite well. Connor had a few... Oh yeah, the the, the Vegas thing, which we can't really count. Um, and we'll have to see about the, the MVP. So we're not doing too badly uh, in terms of, of predictions. And speaking of predictions, let's move on then to make our predictions uh, for next week. <laughs> So we start with uh, Thursday Night Football, and I don't know what, what God Al Michaels pissed off to be getting these kinds of games. <laughs> Carolina Panthers at the Chicago Bears. Ronan, why is this game on primetime TV? I have no idea. Someone was drunk, obviously. In theory, if Justin Fields is back, at least it's a battle between two young, somewhat promising quarterbacks dealing with pretty tough situations. And at least that would, I think, you know, it'll be interesting to see how Justin Fields when he comes back and obviously the whole quarterback do they pick someone new next year 
in the draft. But look, like I think you, I pick Carolina, you pick Chicago. I don't think anyone's have any confidence in any of the, either of these teams on a week-to-week basis. I suppose Chicago have at least had better highs this year. Obviously, they have a couple of more. They have like one or two more wins. They have some things that have worked. But I'm picking Carolina. I kind of feel like, you know, Bryce Young obviously last week did not go how he would have wanted with the two pick sixes. But I think Carolina are slowly turning into the team I kind of expected to be, which is kind of boring, but solid. And I think against a team like Chicago, they definitely have a chance to win. But like both these teams are incredibly bad. So it's very hard to know who will be worse on the day. Yeah, for me, it's a toss up. So I just kind of went for the home team, to be honest. Next up, the, the Frankfurt game, which after the excitement of Dolphins versus Chiefs now gets whatever the opposite of that is, because it's the Indianapolis Colts against the New England Patriots, which is just going to be a bit of a sludge fest. Uh, we've gone for the Colts across the board. The big question, I guess, is can Minshew avoid the turnovers and how aggressively will the Belichick defense uh, attack him? Probably quite aggressively, but I think Minshew will still score enough points. But the real problem here is this Pat's offense is regressed. It is back to last season and Mac Jones has lost all confidence. And even if the Indianapolis defense is vulnerable. I struggle to see them. I mean, they scored 17 points against the Washington defense, which has been giving up 40 points all season to everybody. And it then has been stripped of its two best players and they still only scored 17 points against them. So I just don't, I don't have much hope for the, the Pats anymore. So I'm going to go uh, with the Colts. Moving then to the, the slate in, in America, the early window, Ronan's game of the week, uh, San Francisco 49ers travel to Jacksonville to take on the Jags. Huge game for both teams. Obviously, Jacksonville competing at the top of the AFC, coming off uh, thereby, I believe. And so, you know, an interesting uh, situation for both teams. Coming out of their bye, Jacksonville were feeling good. They've gotten a run ever since they went to London. And it's it's been good, but it hasn't been great. Like, they definitely look like the best team in their division, though. Look out with uh, CJ Stroud about. But they've been playing solid football. Their defense, while not the splashiest defense, very good against the run game. So very intriguing here to see if that defensive line and linebacker group can shut down CMC, at least in his traditional role, and then force the ball into Brock Purdy. And obviously Brock Purdy, some very tough games in recent weeks. You're kind of having to see him play a bit more hero ball as the kind of Shanahan system has broke down, partially maybe because it's been figured out partially because they've not been ahead in games and so the kind of threat of the run is taken away and so you know a really good opportunity here for Jacksonville to make a statement win and get uh you know obviously a big scalp from the other comps and if they're going to do that I think they're going to need Lawrence to kind of take that like the kind of jump that we saw well maybe not that level because that was a huge jump but like another jump uh from what we saw in the first half of this year he's not been bad but he hasn't been playing at like Trevor Lawrence was the you know best quarterback prospect of all time since Peyton Manning type thing that we we hoped that he would become this year but you'd hope coming out of the bye they figure some things out they get Calvin Ridley involved more Etienne was really coming on in those uh, last couple of weeks before the bye and so you you saw like the elements that could be there for this to become a really explosive offense and with a solid defense albeit not one that uh, is the most explosive although Josh Allen's making a few more uh, big plays recently and um, they could do that so but obviously the big focus has to be about San Francisco obviously three losses coming into their bye each week seemingly getting weaker and weaker and there were injuries Debo Samuel was injured Trent Williams was injured but the big thing like their defense wasn't doing things this is a defense that we would expect was going to be you know among the elite and for the first four or five weeks of the season they were they were beating the heck out of teams but it seems that like uh, other quarterbacks and other offensive coordinators have been like you know seem to know their calls seem to know what they're doing and so obviously a huge pressure on the defensive coordinator Steve Wilkes to show 
that during the bye that he is able to mask this defense at the very least, but ideally be evolving this defense as the previous defensive quarters have done when they've moved on to their own head coach jobs. And obviously on the offense, I imagine CMC will continue to be productive because he's goddamn CMC. He's always productive to some extent, but I think against a good team like Jacksonville, there's a good chance you're going to need to lean on Purdy. Now, maybe with some of the injuries back, they can uh, get back to where they are, but you know, those are those outings in the last three weeks. Big questions about San Francisco on both sides of the ball. Jacksonville are a really good test for them as one of the better, but maybe not the elite of the teams in the AFC. I think you've picked Jacksonville. We've gone from San Francisco. Like, uh, for me, it's really hard to call just because of all the uncertainty. But, you know, for two teams looking to make a statement, this is a really important uh, game coming into week 10. It's almost a bigger game for the Niners and the, the Jags. I think the Jags can afford to lose this one, but it's it's a scalp that if they can take it really puts a, a statement out there that they are they're up there with the Chiefs and Bengals uh, in terms of wanting to be considered at the top table of the AFC. For the Niners though, I they have to win this game. Like like if they lose this game and go to 5 and 4 their season it's a crisis. It starts to feel the season is, is falling apart. And this is not an easy game. And they're going to be, it's traveling across the continent. I just don't know if I trust Steve Wilkes' defense to, it seems to have really lost itself. And I don't know if it's going to get back. And I think this Jacksonville offense is in a good place. They've, they've figured out a system and they know how it works. And I think they're just going to do enough to, to expose this San Francisco defense to, to get the win. And if it is, then it's, it's interesting. This is definitely one of those sliding doors moment where the, the Niners can either get their season back on track and put a, a kind of a line under the three losses or they can start to look like they're in big trouble to even win their division and next up titanic uh, afc north clash this game will probably end like 9-8 or something uh, is the baltimore ravens hosting the cleveland browns this is my game of the week because i love sm- smash mouth afc north football uh, we've gone for baltimore across the board obviously there's a very interesting thing happening on one side of the ball where this Baltimore offense, which is capable of just going off on one, you know, the the ability to put up 30, 40 points on teams, they've kind of shown that they're capable of that, either with or without Lamars as a central piece. They seem to have a lot of diversity in how they can attack things, and they seem to be in a good place. When they get the momentum early, it seems, with the Ravens, they can just crush teams. Putting them up against a Cleveland defense, which is one of the better teams in football, at the moment, albeit has had flashes of not fantastic play, but they, they seem solid in terms of, of the, the general yard. So I think that's an interesting battle. If the Ravens can get can get going early, they could, they could, you know, smash the myth of this Browns defense. But if the Browns can grind them into one of these classic AFC North grinds, uh, then it could be very interesting to see, do the does the Baltimore offense have other gears? Does it have plan Bs and plan Cs that works? The problem, I think, with this game is that on the other side of the ball, you've got a really good Baltimore defense against an offense which is not great. Uh, even if uh, Deshaun Watson is, you know, approaching something, returning to normality, he's got tons of turnovers. You can't really trust him. The strength of this game team is... Maybe running, turning towards the run game a bit, but it's not its not all that special. And I think that's the difference here is that you've got two really good units on the Baltimore side and only one really good unit on the Cleveland side. So I think the Ravens are going to win this, even if it's more of a grind than perhaps they were looking, they were expecting. If the Baltimore offense doesn't make a lot of mistakes that allow Cleveland's defense to make big plays and set up really short fields or touchdowns and stuff like that, then 
you'd imagine Baltimore should have this. And I think, you know, you talking about the issues with the other, like the Baltimore defense versus Cleveland, you make it sound like a bad thing, but it sounds like Deshaun Watson's going to hit in the face a lot. So I don't, <laughs> know, I don't know if I put that down as a bad thing necessarily. But like, look, I think this is a game where Cleveland, I think, will probably play close to their chest as long as they can get away with it. They'll try and keep this a tight, close game. You know, you might see the occasional play action to Amari Cooper or whatever like that. But other than that, a lot of Jerome Ford, maybe a bit of designed run for Watson. But yeah, like just that, that the differential there is so large that even though I imagine Baltimore's offense probably won't have a fun day at the office as Miles Garrett and co get at Lamar more than he's comfortable with, you have to favor Baltimore here. But if Cleveland do manage to win this, then the AFC North truly will become a chaotic place for the rest of the season. Yes, yeah, so hopefully, hopefully not. Next up, then, Tennessee at Tampa Bay. We've gone for Tennessee across the board. Obviously, the big news with Tennessee is the coming in of Will Levis. He looks he looks like he's a rookie NFL quarterback who's ready to take over. Certainly looks there's more excitement and more upside to him than Tannehill. What I thought was very interesting watching the Thursday night game was comparing how Levis was playing against us, how Kenny Pickett was playing. Obviously, two quarterback, two young quarterbacks on the way up. Levis, is he's a little impatient at times. He doesn't cycle through his reads properly but these are standard rookie problems these are things you can work on how to read the field better etc whereas someone with Kenny Pickett the problem is all mechanics right he just doesn't throw the ball properly so Levis he knows how to throw the ball properly he knows how to get things done he's getting better I think at reading defenses uh, or he will he maybe needs to work on the the red zone stuff but it's all it's an exciting place for the Titans to finally be uh, after the you know two years of watching them grind Derrick Henry style through everything or rely on on Tannehill ball. So I think they're, they're going to win here. Obviously, Tampa Bay, Baker looks, when he's on form, he looks at his best, but we know with Baker Mayfield, it's consistency is his problem. He will have games where he just doesn't play well. This Tennessee defense, slightly iffy, but I, I do trust that Mike Vrabel does know how to put it together. So it's going to be interesting to see that battle between the, the Tennessee defensive line and Baker Mayfield. The bigger problem is, though, the Bucks defense just seems to have really fallen uh, off a cliff. There are, mo- there are very small moments when it looks like three years ago and they've got their veterans are making plays, but it's becoming less and less each week how, how common that is. So I think the Titans are the way up, the be- the books are on the way down, so you've got to pick the Titans uh, to win this one. Next up, New Orleans Saints at the Minnesota Vikings. We don't really know what to expect from Minnesota offensively, but it, it could be exciting, whereas with the Saints, we kind of know exactly what to expect, Roman. Yes, but that's the unexpected. So, because <laughs> they're just a weird team right now, right? Like, New Orleans offense has finally started clicking. They obviously were a big problem early on in the season where Carr looked lost and they were fighting each other. And now they've just said, just a bit more Taysom Hill. Like, Shaheed wasn't used too much last week, but obviously he was a big factor like, uh, in week eight. You know, just these like bullshit elements, like these Sean Payton elements, basically. And like, I think Carmichael, their offensive one here, just needs to go okay, what would Sean Payton do, the mad bastard? And just do more of that, basically, because trying to be a boring Derek Carr-like West Coast-type offense isn't going to get the get it done in today's NFL. And you have explosive players like Shahid, but also Olave, and Taysom Hill does his bullshit. So I wouldn't say it's perfect. It's not the way you would probably, you know, if you were starting from scratch, it's not the way you construct an offense, but this is the, you know, the land of broken toys they have, and they're mushing it together, and now it's like a pretty strange but cool looking like lego formation or building or something like that so willing to kind of get a little bit like i'm not on the train but i'm like uh, maybe i'll keep an eye on the train and see where they go from here but they are against the minnesota defense which has been really interesting under brian flores i i was reading a few articles last week and a few videos on the kind of scheme he's running he's running a lot of exotic blitzes uh, especially kind of to cover up the fact that they 
they're not that talented, but they have a couple of veteran guys in their secondary who make it work. They're kind of playing weird things like zone out of all out blitzes and stuff like that just stuff you don't expect but i imagine you know it's the kind of thing that works really well until it's figured out and then suddenly there's like a wide open touchdown uh is new orleans the team to figure that out i'm not sure but you know it's interesting at least and obviously similarly on the offense you know their offense last week was this week was kind of weird like it wasn't something that feels necessarily replicable and the new orleans defense is a solid unit so i'm going to favor new orleans just because at least we know what they are and it's been getting a little bit better recently but you know connor's gone from minnesota we've gone for new orleans so minnesota is the chaos pick and and you know obviously it wasn't early this year but they seem to may have recaught that chaos magic they had in 2022 yeah this is the problem with me for the vikings you gotta in order for them to win this game you gotta rely on lightning striking twice essentially and I just don't. I just. I. I don't see as you talked about the replicability of what Dobbs did uh, turning up against against a defense that is a going to be slightly more prepared for it than the Falcons were, and b maybe a little bit better at dealing with it. And also, I. I agree with you. The Saints are offensively starting to come very interesting. Uh, it's so bizarre that suddenly we, we're living in a world post Sean Payton where Taysom Hill is actually useful to an NFL team and is is having the best season I've ever. He's he's probably ever had. It's. Do you think Sean Payton's like? annoyed in denver oh like, undoubtedly oh, oh, he's oh, like there, there's all these plays i could be playing but i have russell wilson he's just not good at them but hey hey pete uh hey, hey dennis you want a few of these like taste mill plays i just have no one to use them right now in exchange for trading taste mill at the end of the season or something <laughs> i don't know yeah he's got to be watching the saints on one hand going to be jealous that he, he doesn't have his favorite toy but the other hand it's like my boy done good you know he's 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 come out on his own and He's really making a name for himself. Uh, yeah, it's it's one of those it's one of the weirder uh, evolutions in this NFL uh, season. Next up, exciting QB battle: Texans go to the Bengals. We've gone for the Bengals across the board because they're a better team and more trustworthy and in a very good place. But man, these Texans! If Stroud comes up again, it's going to be interesting to see. You know the the Lou Anaromo defense. The, you know the the good things we think about this Bengals defense coming up against an exciting quarterback. Will they have answers? Will he find ways of pulling off his bullshit against them? So I think it's going to be an exciting. It's an exciting red zone game, but I do think the Bengals, just on talent, probably are the better pick. The main thing we, we want to see is like okay, CJ Stroud obviously just obliterated the Tampa Bay defense from the face of the earth obviously comes up against a really smart defense it's like it's like the same 11 guys nearly all the time do on our own as i said is one of the best defensive coordinators in adjusting on the flies now you have a rookie quarterback coming in playing uh, very well this season coming off obviously a record-breaking performance so what are we going to see from cj stride this game can he score enough points to keep them competitive with the Bengals? i think it's going to be that's not probably a bridge too far even if he does play really well but obviously we're really intrigued to see what this young houston offense can look like against a real test in cincinnati as for the other side of the ball the houston defense it's just it's coming together there's some interesting players there but there's still too many holes so you'd imagine that joe burrow and the form he has will be able to pick them apart consistently get a bunch of points in this game and probably enough to win the game but i think houston are a team that we're willing to give a little bit extra love to because they have something that's really interesting and that's CJ Stroud. They're fun, but I think this game is going to show us where their ceiling is and it, it's, I don't think they're going to be up there with the Bengals. Next up, uh, Green Bay Packers go to Pittsburgh. Uh, we've gone for Pittsburgh across the board. This is going to be offensively an incredibly ugly game. Got Jordan Love, who I still do not believe is good enough. He's yet to show me that he is he is worthy uh, of the green jersey, as it were. Up against Kenny Pickett, who, as I talked about, is 
in his second year now, does not seem to be evolving. His game mechanics, his throwing mechanics seem to be still off. He underthrows balls. He throws badly. It's just like, I don't think he is the guy Pittsburgh should be building his offense, their offense around. But we've talked about the problem the Steelers have is that when you're consistently a 9-8 and eight team, you don't get high draft picks. Therefore, you don't draft good quarterbacks. This is going to be about the defenses. And ultimately, I think this Pittsburgh defense has shown it's got the big playability. It's got that explosiveness. Whereas the Green Bay defense is just a bit too middling, a bit too unexciting. So I think it's the Pittsburgh defense going to win this. It'll probably be quite low scoring, but do not watch this game if you would like exciting offensive action. Moving now to the late window, where if you are interested in watching exciting offensive action, can I recommend the Detroit Lions going to the, the LA Chargers? Two teams historically who have underperformed, but one team, i.e. The, the Lions, who are just look so good this year, and it's so nice to see a team that we've rooted for for a couple of years turn good. Dan Campbell's got the boys all lined up together, uh, working hard. They look good on both sides of the ball. They certainly look like a more complete team and in a better... They seem to have reached that stage in their evolution that this Chargers team has not yet reached, and certainly does not look like it's reaching. As I talked about, the Chargers seem to be devolving. They, they're going backwards this year. The Moore offense is not working. They just can't seem to get that balance of on a pass going enough. And Herbert, I think, is... I don't know if he's being exposed or he's just not... It's just not as explosive as it used to be and certainly doesn't feel like the Chargers are going anywhere. Defensively, the Chargers are getting slightly better. I think I, I think maybe Brandon Staley is figuring some things out, but I think this Lions offense is going to be a big test for them because they've got so many different pieces that can hurt you, so many different ways to beat you explosively. Very interested in this game. Um, I think it's the kind of game where, obviously, we have two teams that are reading them a little bit off. I think Detroit, you know, coming into their bye, they managed to beat Vegas with those McDaniels things, but they got that shellacking uh, by the Ravens a few weeks ago. And they were a team that kind of felt that they needed the bye. You know, David Montgomery was injured. They were missing a few people on the defense. They traded for uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones just before the deadline to add a bit more of a deep element, perhaps, or to add to their kind of deep threats. Amon Ra was injured. So uh, this is a team that obviously we have high expectations for that felt like it was getting banged up a bit. But now they have a week off. They get healthy. They hopefully get most of their offensive line back, uh, David Montgomery back. And then we see the Detroit Lions starting to kick ass and take names. That's all we all want to see. They're a fun team. They're a team we all really enjoy under Dan Campbell, and we want to see them do that. And they now come up against, obviously, one of the peak fraud teams, the uh, Chargers, who have, you know, managed to get two convincing wins in a row, albeit against two very unconvincing teams. And, yeah, it's been a little bit weird. Like, they haven't really done it in a way that makes you go, wow, the Chargers, so this is the old-school Chargers. You see, the offense is still a bit wibbly-wobbly. The run game really isn't there. Austin Eckler's getting production, but it's mostly in the pass game. You know, there's only so much, like, 30-something Keenan Allen can do. And, like, they're not using Quinton Johnston, their first-round rookie, so they're, they're, and they've lost Joshua Parma, so they're really, they're really thin in terms of the weapons that they have on offense. And I think it is starting to show. And, obviously, the offensive line continues to be a turnstile as ever it was. And their defense, you know, while maybe not at the, you know, peak awful chargers as it has been in recent years uh, under Brandon Staley, it certainly is still not a huge strength. So I want Detroit to come in here and to come out of the bye fully healthy, ready to rock, blow out the chargers and get us really excited for what they could be doing uh, when we get down to the real football. Next up then, uh, the Bird Bowl, uh, the Falcons go to play the Cardinals. Connor has picked the Cardinals for some reason, but surely the Falcons <laughs> are going to win this for <laughs> Yeah, well, look, like I suppose the big X factor for Arizona is that Kyler Murray is expected to play. 
they're kind of saying we want him to play so unless you know an aggravation happens he he will play so obviously he's going to be quite rusty given he hasn't played in like about a year and obviously this is a completely different offense than what he played uh under cliff kingsbury so i have no idea how that's going to work i suppose the offense has slightly overperformed with josh dobbs but it was kind of falling apart especially with james conrad i'm not sure what his injury status is to be honest and you kind of go okay kyler murray magic bullshit make it work and it's against an atlanta defense which as you noted is you know, been underperforming in recent weeks. It's definitely still getting explosive plays occasionally, but they're giving up a lot of yards and a lot of points, and so Kyler could come back, blow out the thing, and make it work. But even though Atlanta are stupid, and Arthur Smith is certainly getting up there in the power rankings of people who can lose, even when they should win, I think Atlanta are a more talented team on both sides of the ball, and Arizona are so depleted. It would be surprising if Kyler could go back and make this work. But look, uh, Arizona have been better than, than, than they should be, given how little talent they have, but... I think this might be just a little bit too a bridge too far, but hey, it's bits galaxy brain. Anything can happen. Uh, next up, then Washington Commanders go to Seattle. So Washington go to play in Washington, but not that Washington, the other Washington. Mm-hmm. We've got for Seahawks across the board. Can the Seahawks b- bounce back from a tough, tough week, Ronan? It's going to be an interesting game, right? Because obviously Seattle just, I think, found their level, as it were, after getting absolutely hockeyed by the Baltimore Ravens. Obviously, they're now in a tie for the NFC West. And they come against the Commanders team, which, you know, just got a win against New England Patriots for, for what that's worth, who are still very much live in the wildcard hunt. They're, like, just below 500. And so they're going to be at home. Howell's been playing well this year, mostly. There's sometimes weird moments, but it's been very much more positive than not. Um, I think the big question, obviously, is the Seattle defensive front. They bring in Leonard Williams, but they've lost Eugenio Nuosu. Can they get consistent pressure on Howell? Because when you sack him enough times, that generally leads to uh, better outcomes for you. Howell can play through the pain, but there's only so much that he can do. And then for the Seattle offense, it's really just all about Geno Smith. Obviously, pretty much a horrible game last week. A lot of turnovers this year. Not really playing at the level he was last year. But he's coming up against a defense here, which is quite vulnerable in the secondary. Obviously now missing their two best pass rushers after trading them away. And you could hope that Gino down the stretch might be able to take care of these lesser defenses. Like it's going to play some tough defense like Philly and, and San Francisco. That's a separate issue. But against Washington, you'd hope he can turn it around. Yeah, this this feels like a get right game for the Seahawks to to kind of get back in their groove against uh, defense, which I, I don't rate particularly highly. It's also, I think, interesting. I mean, obviously, the Sam Howell thing is, is still a bit of a mystery. Is he good? Is he not? I mean, Eric Bieniemy seems to really believe this guy is the answer, and it's interesting to see him try and craft that week in, week out. But this Seattle defense looks better than it, it did, that we expected it to. So it's going to be quite a challenge. So I think it's going to be an interesting game, certainly, because I think we'll learn an awful lot about these teams coming out of it. But the Seahawks are a better team. And if Gino can avoid doing Gino things, then they should be comfortable enough, uh, I would think. Then to close out the late window, more NFC East magic. I don't know why they didn't just flex this into Sunday Night Football like they always seem to do with the <laughs> NFC East games. Even uh, they couldn't justify putting <laughs> Tommy DeVito, the trash man, in there. So it's the Giants at the Cowboys. In week one, when the Giants had life in them, the Cowboys beat them by 40 points. And now the Giants don't even have a quarterback. So it's... It's impossible. I I do not know in any scenario by which the Giants uh, win this game. They could easily Uh get blown. I guarantee in the previews. (laughs) I'm locking it down. Yeah, the Cowboys are too good. (laughs) Offensively, they're not... They're answering some questions offensively, even if they're not quite where we would, you know, where Cowboys fans would like them to be. But the Giants' defense is, is... 
it's it's decent, so it'll give them a bit of a challenge. But the problem with the Giants is they just won't score any points. I mean, who starts a quarterback? DeVito, Barkley, some guy taken off the street. Uh, all of them probably have the same chance against a, a Dallas defense, which has looked at its peak to be quite scary. And also, I mean, the big thing is that they seem to know this Giants offensive scheme quite well. And in week one, they absolutely crushed it. So uh, Cowboys all the way. Uh, Sunday night football, a game everyone thought they should have flexed out, but they seem to stick to it because there seems to be so many Jets fans that are going to turn in. Myself and Ronan have gone for the Jets. Connor has gone for Vegas. It's going to be an ugly one. I think we get a better sense in this one of this Antonio Pierce thing if the Raiders have maybe turned a corner and found some sort of answers because this Jets defense will give a big test, especially, say, if the Raiders are playing Aiden O'Connell. I think he's going to have a tough day. The big problem with the Jets, obviously, as as... We've been talking about all year since Aaron Rodgers went down is what Zach Wilson will turn up and can it please be a, a slightly good version rather than the absolutely awful version we saw uh, on Monday night uh, against the Chargers. So you got to trust that the Jets will get enough done offensively. The defense will put give them the platform to win and the offense will do enough to take it. Whereas with the Raiders, you just have a little bit less faith on both sides that they're going to be able to do much of anything at all. Yeah, it's like the I can't believe it's relevant bowl, basically. Like both these teams are <laughs> kinda hard to watch. Like obviously Vegas, you know, beat up on the corpse of the Giants there last week and obviously there's a chance that they've, you know, genuinely turned a corner on their peers because the players actually want to play again. And they have good players, we know that. Like they have Devontae Adams, they have Josh Jacobs, and in Aiden O'Connell they have an interesting rookie quarterback, but this is a tough, tough defense to break, especially in that pass game. Um, so this is a game where I imagine Vegas will, like they did last week, lean on Josh Jacobs from the start, hope that they can kind of grind down the defense, and then if they get enough one-on-one looks uh, between Devontae Adams, uh, hopefully preferably against Reed instead of uh, uh, instead of Sauce, but you know that that will be good enough to kind of get score. But this does not track as a particularly high-scoring game because, as you know, even though the I wouldn't basically bet that the the Las Vegas defense has suddenly turned good because they stopped Tommy DeVito and you know uh daniel jones for like uh you know half a quarter it's still not a good defense like max crosby's playing well but that's about it and so this is a situation where zach wilson has the chance to have one of his better games which is to say maybe 15 points or so and if he scores 15 points then they definitely have a chance to win this game but this is an important game for both teams given where they are obviously the jets trying to survive long enough in the playoff hunts or for aaron Rodgers to come down like it's the uh, battle of helms deep vegas obviously trying to turn around the absolute disaster zone they are they are still playoff relevant as well under pierce who's obviously bringing a lot of energy there but uh yeah kind of hard to call this game at the moment but very important game for both teams and finally monday night football denver at buffalo uh, can the bills get right in this one Ron? I wouldn't bet on it. Like, we've all picked the Buffalo Bills because they are a better team and they've they've tended to do okay against the, the lesser lights of the NFL. But Denver, you know, they beat the Chiefs coming into their bye. You know, maybe, you know, Sean Payton and Russell Wilson have put their differences aside. I don't think they're going to turn into, like, you know, the best offense in the league, but they've certainly got enough there that they're not in the you know bottom barrel anymore. And on their defense... Uh, they kind of let the young guys go off the off the leash and they were a little bit better. So, look, I think Denver, I don't think we're quite willing to kind of pick them just yet, but they're certainly much closer to being picked here than we would have considered, like, you know, three or four weeks ago. As for Buffalo, look, it's a lot of just, hey, Josh Allen, carry us, please, because uh, the run game isn't getting going. And I think that's a really big factor, like Denver's run defense 
that continues to be a weakness, I think. So can they get James Cook going or Latavius Murray or Leonard Fournette or whoever they choose to run up the middle and take a little bit of the pressure off Allen? And can this defense, you know, keep it respectable, basically? They're not going against one of the best offenses in the league. Keep it respectable. And if they do that, then I still would have Buffalo favoured. But it's there's a little bit of intrigue here, but I don't think I'm quite willing to pick Denver uh, just yet. And that's it for this week from All Four Quarters. Uh, Connor will be back uh, next week. Any plans for the weekend, Ronan? No, uh, after you know a few Calvin trips and stuff like that, probably keep pretty keep it pretty quiet. And uh, yeah, we're into November, kind of the pre-Christmas period, so maybe get some early work done on that uh, Christmassy type stuff. Yeah, it it is that kind of quiet time of year, and not not a lot of plans on my end. We'll probably do some dog walking, I would think, um, exploring the the parks uh, of Waterford. Hopefully, the weather holds up that's it then so it's bye from me bye from Ronan bye thanks for listening to All Four Quarters of